0: So, welcome everyone to another in our series of conversations between Hapal Brah and Caleb Morpin. And today we're going to be talking about Palestine. Now, initially, when we scheduled this talk, uh, it was before. Uh, the launch of the uh, operation, uh, what is it, al aqsa battle uh, this weekend. So obviously, it's changed our agenda a little bit. And I think we are going to start by talking about the current situation before we t- try to delve back a little further into the origins, the roots of the problem in the Middle East. But um, I'm going to start by asking Huppal uh, for your initial response to uh, the events that are unfolding right now in the Middle East, in Palestine.
1: Well, I have to say, even at the cost of annoying the authorities and, and, and right-wingers and revisionists in the communist movement, it was such an unexpected welcome present on the 7th of, of, uh, of, of October, w- woke up. I didn't hear the news. A friend of mine came to see us and he informed us, have you heard the news? And then we looked at everything and it, it was remarkable. Because one of the things it proves is, no matter how strong the Zionist army gets, no matter what sophisticated weaponry it acquires, actually with each passing days, it is much weaker than its opponents, even if it can absolutely overwhelm them with why it's weaponry. Because human beings live on the ground. And when you live on the ground, you have to share that space with other people. And if you're oppressing them you cannot cannot be free. Karl Marx pointed out long while ago, a nation that oppresses another cannot be free, a people who oppress another people cannot be free. And the Israeli, you know, one of the sick jokes of history is that one of the most intelligent people um, and people who before the Second World War were one of the most progressive people, so much so that one of the Nazi propaganda was that Bolshevism was just a product of Judaism. So they were fighting against not only Bolsheviks, but against Judaism, because they thought behind the Bolsheviks stand the Jews, behind Stalin stands Kaganovich, and he's the one who's calling the tune, not, not not Stalin. Because, and And for these people to be actually roped in by this most reactionary, racist, and really Anti Semitic ideology like, like Zionism is, is a tragedy. It's a tragedy not only for the Palestinians, but for people generally, progressive people generally, but it's especially a tragedy for the Jews themselves because they're on to a hiding to nothing. Nothing will come out of it because with each action that they take against the Palestinians, they are actually pressing a self destruct button, which will result in the destruction of Israel. It will destruct, result in it. Because after a while, the Jewish people who live in Israel would get fed up with you cannot from decade to decade and from century to century go on with, with this fight. After each operation, the Zionists say, Yes, we have now smashed the Hamas or whoever they're fighting against so that it will never rise again. And like Phoenix, it arises again every five, every, every three years. And the Zionists are very proud of their intelligence services. But it's clear to me that the resistance also has its intelligence services, which actually can match them. They're not relying on high technology, they're relying on on information on the ground. They're able to gather precisely what is happening. And for them to actually, with even a backward technology, to have a coordinated uh, offensive from the sea. from the land and from the air using boats, using motorbikes, using paragliders to actually have inflicted such a devastating blow to to the Zionist state of Israel. They are all shocked and their patrons are shocked. How could they do do it? How could such backward people do, do that? How could they dare to disturb our sleep? What they don't understand is they don't let the Palestinians sleep on any given day. And people will be telling you that now the Palestinians have asked for it, they get punished. Well, the fact, of the fact of the matter is they are being punished whether they do any any anything or not. And you must have seen a wonderful interview by the CNN with Mustafa Bar, Bar, Barghouti. They obviously called him because he's very soft-spoken, he's a moderate guy, he's highly intelligent. They thought they get something out of him which will just be anti-Hamas. He said, no, the problem is the occupation. That is what is causing the problem. That's what's causing the the hurt to be caused both to the Israelis and to the Palestinians. And therefore, if you want to deal with this problem, you must go to the root of it and and, end the occupation. That is even if you are going to stick by the previous arrangement whereby Palestinians painfully accepted. Only 22% of their country to actually establish a state of their own. And the Zionists cannot even accept such a wonderful bargain in their favor. And they are, as Stalin used to say, whom the gods wish to destroy, they first make mad. The Israeli Zionists have gone mad. And that's what they're doing. They rely only on weaponry. But weapons are not, in the final analysis, the decisive force. Otherwise, you could never fight against the ruling class the bourgeoisie could never have fight, fought against the kings and queens the proletariat could never have fought against or could never have fought against successfully the vietnamese could never have fought against american imperialism the korean and chinese people could never have fought against american imperialism afghans with the most backward ideology have beaten the american, american, americans to it the syrians have beaten them to it but of course, they don't learn the lesson three, four, five years. They come back with new aggressive plans. So if they want any advice from me, and I'm not in the business of advising imperialism and Zionists, but my advice to them is just give up your wars of aggression, give up your predatory behaviour, give up the occupation. Come to learn to live with the Palestinians as fellow equal human beings. Create a single state by national state where the Palestinians as well as the Jews have equal rights. The thing could work and there would be peace not only in in, in Israel, but there will be peace in the Middle East as well. But if the Zionists carry on like that, it will put paid to all their hopes of the Abraham Accords coming to their rescue, their rapprochement with the Saudis, with the UAE and various countries, and of course combined with their weaponry, They don't have to worry about the Palestinians, but Palestinians are actually the sword of the the Middle Eastern people's revolution, and they will not go away. They will not lie quietly under occupation and under oppression, and that's really really the thing. And the scale of devastation caused by the latest Palestinian offensive is such that it hasn't been like that since the Yom Kippur War of 1920. Seventy-three. I would go further say it hasn't been on this scale since the formation of the State of Israel in 1948 and of course people are hurt. I take no joy in anybody being killed, whether they are Palestinians or the Israelis. But unfortunately in this world, killing is very much a part of the liberation struggle. You know those who would make an omelette they have got to learn to break eggs and people get killed palestinians are being killed all the time and those people who don't actually sympathize with the palestinians who don't condemn israeli attacks have the least right now to come up and saying asking everybody to condemn hamas for its actions hamas does not need to be condemned it's standing or whoever is taking part in this struggle, Hamas is not the only organization. They are fighting for their liberation. If they did not fight for it, they would cease to qualify to be called human beings. What do you think the Americans will do? What do you think the Americans did when there was an attack on Palha Harbor? They joined the war, they fought with aeroplanes, they fought with armed forces, they fought, fought with tanks and armored cars, well, of course, the Palestinians cannot match that. They don't have an air force. Of course, they call their paragliders the Saraya Air Force, right? It's good for their morale. But the thing is, they can't match the weaponry. But what they can match is determination and courage with which they fight because they got nowhere to go. Every Israeli holds a double passport. They have come from Brooklyn or Manhattan or... Paris or somewhere to claim Palestinian land as their land. And they are actually prisoners of that. I'm reminded of this wonderful girl, uh, uh, Ahed Tamimi. She was caught on the camera slapping an Israeli soldier who was trying to harass her. And it went viral. Millions of people saw it. And she was asked, you know, what did she feel? She said, I'm not oppressed. I am free. It's the 15, 16-year-old Jewish kids who've been taught to hate the Palestinians and to fear them. And they go to bed with rifles and guns. They're the ones who are oppressed. I'm a freedom fighter. I can distinguish between right and wrong. And that is the spirit. People who have that spirit whose children have that spirit, cannot be beaten. You can carry on beating them year after year, but in the end, the last laugh will be had by them because they will achieve their liberation.
0: Thanks, Dad. I just wanted to pick up on a couple of points that you made before I hand over to Caleb. Uh, one of them was just to underline uh, what you were saying. You know, in the media, it's presented very much as Hamas v. Israel in the West. And of course, it's not Hamas v. Israel, It's the Palestinians versus the Zionists. And the truth is that every part of the Palestinian resistance is engaged in this war. It's clearly a united operation. They've all come out and said so. Uh, It's not only Hamas brigades. um, There are many others. There's PFLP, there's DFLP, there's Al-Quds, there's the Lions of Janine. There's all kinds of groups involved. And they are working together, very clearly working together. The other thing is, again, to pick up the importance of the intelligence failure. From the point of view of, you know, so many people who live in the imperialist world really believe in the all powerfulness of the state machineries over them. They seem like they see everything, they know everything. Um, they can't be beaten because of the, the strength and the, and the technology level, you know the, 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 the high technology uh, and complex web of surveillance that's everywhere. and there's no way around that, right? You can't get away from it. Um, but it's really uh, fascinating to see and and inspiring to see how when people are mobilized to resist, they find a way. I was um, 15, 13 years ago. I was at the museum in Beqa, in southern Lebanon, the Museum of Resistance, run by Hezbollah, where they show you not only how their resistance fighters lived under Israeli occupation and what what um, kind of armaments they used to fight back and what armaments they captured. There's an Israeli-captured tank there and all kinds of things. But on one of the walls there, there is a chart of the occupation. And the resistance fighters of southern Lebanon knew the name the location and the army rank of every single member of the occupation force and they show it to you on the wall of the of the liberation museum there in in uh, southern lebanon and this is their way of reminding people everywhere look the oppressors are not as strong as they seem we worked it out you can work it out too and it's clear to me that uh, the palestinian resistance knows an awful lot about
1: the occupation forces, Caleb. Can I can I just make one one point before Caleb takes over? I'm very keen to hear Caleb. Um, we see, unable to answer the kind of uh, reasoning we give. All the imperialist governments are now making it illegal to express any support for 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 the resistance. They, in Britain, there is going to be a fine of five thousand pounds, and. Prison sentence of six months if you actually support support, support the resistance. I hope there will be thousands and thousands who will express support for the resistance. So the courts get chock a block with cases of of this this nature. People have to stand up. We can't be cowed down by people coming, you know, some third class politician like Dat or somebody coming and saying, you can't, or Lindsey Graham Graham in, in, in America. They're just mad people, you know, they they, they, they want to bomb uh, uh, Gaza so that it's total rubble and and the people over there will never rise. In fact, what they will create, as Larry Johnson said in a program I had this this morning, by uh, like the Nazis bombed to rubble the city of Stalingrad because thereby they hope to win. And actually what they created was they created obstacles for their own tanks, they couldn't move through the rubble. And they created hiding places for the Soviet soldiers who had rifles and were fighting against the Nazis who went on to to beat them. So if they do that in Gaza, that's probably what it is. It won't be just Palestinians who will be living cheek by jowl to each other. It will be the Israelis who will be living cheek by jowl in this highly densely populated place called Gaza, which is an open-air prison of 2.3 million people who live in terrible conditions. And the only way they can fight against Hamas is actually to eliminate 2.3 million Palestinians. And now that's a job even, I think, beyond the ability of Zionists. Not their willingness to do so, but the ability of the Zionists. The whole of the Middle East will erupt, and there will be ramifications of these actions, which neither they nor their imperialist patrons, patrons will be able to control. Sorry, Caleb, I want to hear.
2: Well, um, I have a couple thoughts um, on what, what's been said so far. The, one of the points I've been making uh, in my broadcasts and with people I talk about this is that uh, the way things have gone down is really a large result of the failure of the strategy that came in with the Obama administration. Uh, Because since the time that Barack Obama took office, the strategy of the United States and Israel has been to divide uh, the peoples of the Muslim world between Sunni and Shia. And the reason for this is because Iran, uh, the Islamic Republic of Iran, is the center of resistance to Western imperialism and Zionism in that region. Um, And right after Barack Obama took office, uh, there was a huge amount of propaganda about what they called the Shia Crescent. And they tried to link Iran and the Syrian Arab Republic uh, because Bashar Assad is an Alawite uh, and and other forces in the region, Hezbollah. And they pushed this notion that that the resistance forces were actually Shia Muslims and Iran trying to take over. And then Barack Obama, his middle name was Hussein, uh, still is. uh, And the U.S. media played up, you know, that he had gone to a Muslim school when he was a child living in Indonesia and uh i I pointed out to people this is barack obama basically as a 21st century napoleon uh when napoleon tried to conquer syria and egypt he put up posters everywhere announcing he was a muslim uh you know and he, he was lying uh but it was a propaganda technique and he said i've come to restore your rights you should trust me i'm a muslim don't trust the british um and that barack obama his presidency was largely about trying to regain the trust of various muslim forces that had aligned with u.s imperialism uh throughout the cold war most specifically the muslim brotherhood um and that uh and then the saudis and the muslim brotherhood both played up this idea that uh, that hezbollah that iran uh that uh that syria were part of this this shia conspiracy and that that effectively fomented civil war in syria It divided the forces of resistance, uh, you know, and and that has been the strategy. And this continued under the Trump administration. Donald Trump went to Saudi Arabia uh, when he was president and pushed the idea he was going to form an Arab NATO. Uh, And this Arab NATO he was going to form would would unify the Arab world against Iran. Uh, And Donald Trump got, I believe, Dubai and the United Arab Emirates, uh, or no, Dubai is part of the United Arab Emirates, but the United Arab Emirates and one other country to recognize Israel, uh, two Arab states to recognize Israel. And they did so on the basis of cooperating with Israel against Iran. And the strategy of the United States has been to polarize uh, that region uh, between, you know, Iran and its allies and uh, the U.S. aligned wing of the Arab world and in effect to divide the Palestinian resistance, divide opposition to Israel. Um, that's failed. Uh, China uh, has secured uh, uh, you know, friendship now between Iran and Saudi Arabia. Iran and Saudi Arabia now have diplomatic relations once again as a result of the People's Republic of China uh, that sat down and had talks with them. And the first train went from Moscow to Tehran all the way into Riyadh. Uh, And uh, because uh, because of the efforts uh, by Joe Biden to demand that Saudi Arabia end its relationship with Russia, which they're not going to do because Saudi Arabia is an oil exporting country and so is Russia. They need to be able to negotiate oil price outputs. Uh, The United States has alienated itself and we've seen a reunification of forces in the region. So under these circumstances, Iran Hezbollah, Syria, which has now been readmitted into the Arab League. You'll remember Syria is now recognized by all the Arab countries. Once again, the war is over. The Syrian government has won. Now, with the balance of forces shifted, the Palestinians were in a position where they could they could go on the offensive with much more widespread support. And this is the failure of the imperialist strategy of dividing the forces of resistance in the region. What, what they spent years doing with Obama and Trump and 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 even continuing under Biden has completely failed. And I think that that's that's what we're seeing here. And and we're back in a situation. We remember in 2006 when Israel was driven out of Lebanon, the whole Muslim world was cheering for Hezbollah because it defeated it defeated the Israeli invaders. And we're back in that situation because now the whole Muslim world is cheering for Um, the Palestinians. It's it's cheering for Hezbollah as Israel uh, as Israel is once again isolated with people throughout the region opposing them. So I think that that's an important thing to point out. Um, I also wanted to point out on on since we're going there, uh, what what Harpal pointed out about outlawing protest. Uh, I have never seen in you know, I've been in New York City for over a decade. I have never seen the amount of demonization and attack on the protests supporting Palestine, as I've seen right now. There's generally pro-Palestine protests every time there's an intensification, because there's many Muslims uh, in New York City, there's many Arabs, there's many leftists. Um, You generally have people who march through the streets with Palestine flags. Uh, But this time, they are are calling these demonstrations terrorist demonstrations. Um, the Democratic Socialists of America, uh, which has members of Congress, uh, Ocasio-Cortez and others, uh, has been forced to apologize uh, for their participation in the protests that happened over the weekend on Sunday. Um, there has been uh, there has been all of this demonization and calls for outlawing these protests, calling them hate rallies, calling them anti-Semitic, etc. Um, and it's shocking. Meanwhile, Um, The pro-Israel demonstrators have been caught on camera calling for the extermination of all Palestinians, uh, saying things like, you know, all Palestinians should be killed. And there doesn't seem to be much outrage about that. Right. Imagine. I mean, if if all the if all the Palestine protesters were saying kill all Jews, that would be everywhere. But uh, of course, they're not saying that. But but the the pro-Israel protesters have openly said things. It's time they've said on camera. Too many reporters. It's time to just kill every Palestinian, just get rid of them. And no one no one seems to object. No one's calling for their protests to be outlawed. Um, So what's interesting, though, is that um, that we're seeing among the pro-Israel protesters uh, and the pro-Israel propaganda, uh, we're seeing, first of all, a weaponization of that cancel culture. Right. Where, you know, it's like, oh, you're a fascist, you're a white supremacist, you're a racist, you better disavow, you must disavow, you know, AOC apologized and disavowed the demonstration. And on top of that, they're using allegations that the Palestinians raped someone, which, again, that's not confirmed. They're using that to also attack uh, the pro-Palestine marches, say these are pro-rape Rallies because of that. That is the argument that they're making as well, um, and it also fits in with you know the Me Too thing and how they they are targeting you know progressive movements with sex allegations. It's a similar thing. So they're using the kind of the same playbook uh, that the the false left and social democrats have used against revolutionary forces is now being used against anyone who says anything pro Palestine. And I think you can fit this into what happened in in your country to Jeremy Corbyn. I mean, Jeremy Corbyn was a, a Labour social democrat but yet he was called anti-Semitic and forced out of his position and you saw the Labor Party purging anyone who said anything pro-Palestine. Would you make that analogy? Would you say it's a similar thing?
1: Yeah, yeah. Shall I? Yeah. Yes, it it is very, very similar because Jeremy Corbyn was no Bolshevik. Jeremy Corbyn was actually a social democrat of the type that you found in the 50s and 60s not, nothing more than that he had a mild mildly progressive uh, um, program internally and he certainly had been a supporter of the of the palestinian palestinian people but you know every crisis has some beneficial effects because this crisis too has brought into daylight who are progressives and who are not progressives the so called left wing of the Labour Party is now characterized by its total silence, It dare not speak, because they're all worried the moment they speak, and if they say a word in favor of Palestinian resistance, they'll be expelled from the Labour Party. And for them to be expelled from the Labour Party is like for a very pious person to be ejected from heaven. Now, it's the imperialist party, why the hell you want to be in, in it in the first, first place? Even Jeremy Corbyn, I haven't heard any, any, anything from him. You know, he's been a supporter of Palestine. He could at least say it's the result of occupation. But they're not saying anything because he's hoping against hope that he'll be allowed to fight the next general election under the labor ticket. He will not be allowed. I can tell him that he will not be allowed. But even if he were to be allowed, what is a member of parliament? It means nothing. Is one's honor worth any anything? And of course, what happens is they've turned into the Americans have turned into their opposite. When they fought their war of liberation, they fought with arms in hand and beat the British in that five, six year long World war, War of Liberation. And at that time, people like Thomas Jefferson could come and say that the tree of liberty from time to time has to be watered with blood. Now why can't the Palestinians follow Thomas, uh, 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 you, you, you know, uh, the, the advice of the then American revolutionaries and water the tree of liberty of their liberty with blood. That's what they're doing. And the Americans should read their own history. I read their history more than I think the American Ameri- Americans do, but I need to read it. I need to find out about every liberation movement, what 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 they did, and what is are there to learn from it. Of course, they've turned into reaction. Miss Liberty has become Miss Oppression now. It no longer is. Rep- The Statue of Liberty no longer represents liberty, it represents oppression all all, all over the world. But now that the governments are trying to actually outlaw everything, decent people need to come up and stand up and be, 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 be counted. Because if you can't be counted in a period like that, if you keep your head down, you will never ever be able to fight for anything. They're outlawing everything. They're outlawing Trade union protests. They're outlying protests in support of Palestine. They're outlying supports in favor of uh, 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 protests that actually uh, show their war of aggression against against R- Russia, which they are doing it through the proxy proxy of Ukraine. But it's really sorting out. The so-called left wing has disappeared. All these people that Cable has mentioned, and you know. Uh, 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 what is the lady's name, Ilhan, Ilhan what?
2: Ilhan Omar, Omar. yeah.
1: Uh, Omar, you know, they're, they're, they're condemning Hamas. Why don't they condemn American imperialists? They sit in the chamber that is the source of that oppression. They can't see these uh, 500 people sitting next to them and and, and say, you are responsible for the, for this tragedy. Instead, they go for somebody who's already being oppressed, namely, the resistance fight, fighters fighters in Palestine. And so is the left wing. The so-called parties that call themselves communists have basically dis- disappeared from the scene. You know, the moment they say any danger, they raise the white flag. And they don't even have to smell any cordite. They see from a long distance that there might be danger, and they try to hide it. Well, the working class cannot achieve its liberation by keeping its head below the the parapet, no more than the bourgeoisie did in its own days. It fought, it fought with our arms, Cromwell's army. They chopped the head of King Charles. Charles 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 Charles's the, the 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 first. And somebody pointed out you can't do that because you know it'd be regicide. Kings don't get heads, t- they're chopped off. And and Cromwell said, You'll see the axe will fall on his neck just as surely as on any ordinary criminal. They should remember their own revolutionary history, but their time is up. And they don't want to remember. Nobody celebrates Cromwell's victory in the camp of the bourgeoisie. Nobody celebrates the 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 left wing of French Revolution. You know the 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 period who represent represent in the French Revolution are called that, that terror, terror terror period, nobody is remembered that. Of course, they celebrate Bastille Day, but it's done in such a way that it does no harm that you know, we brought the rights of man, we brought the liberties of, of people, etc. But what they don't understand is the basic point of that revolution was to get rid of oppression and exploitation by an outmoded exploiting class and substitute exploitation by a new class. What we're trying to do, what the proletariat is trying to do, is to put an end to all exploitation and all oppression, not just of one class by another, but of all oppression and all exploitation. And the bourgeoisie is frightened of that. They may say communism is dead. Well, if it is dead, why are they constantly saying Marxism is dead? It makes no sense to actually constantly refer to dead people as being dead, because everybody knows they're dead. There's no need to say that, 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 that communism is dead. Every time they say Marxism is dead, Marxism arises even more, more powerfully. The Tsarists thought that they'd finished uh, uh, communism in Russia. And who, what happened? The Tsars were overthrown. It was the communists who took, t- took over from them. And likewise, in a number of places, in China, in the DPRK, in Vietnam, and Cuba, and a number of other places where revolutionaries have taken over, and they will continue to do that. What imperialists are doing is uh, is to actually stand in the way of the forward march of humanity, and that is what is causing all the bloodshed. If they realized their time was up and they said, yes, we had good time for two, three hundred years, now it's your time, I'm sure there would be no blood spilt. The communists are not bloodthirsty, they are not wanting to kill people for the love of it. No, they're doing it because they're in the van of the liberation struggles. And if the bourgeoisie decides to put impediments in the way, those impediments will be removed, whatever the cost.
0: Yes. Um, I feel like what we need to do now is go back to the roots of this whole thing, because as you said, there's a lot of talk about, you know, this person fighting this person, everything in our media is taken out of context. But the truth is, That the whole Israeli project uh, as a settler colonial entity in the heart of the Middle East was to do with the interests of imperialism. It had nothing to do with Jews. It had nothing to do actually with Zionism. Zionism and the creation of a Jewish state became a cover The holocaust of jews in the second world war was used as another cover although that was not the beginning of zionism or the beginning of israel but again these things are used as cover as a story to justify something which is essentially unjustifiable which is we are going to take a land which is occupied we're going to parachute in a population which is loyal to us and we're going to make a deal with them because this area is important to us why is it important to us because we have discovered oil here, a lot of oil here, just at the moment when industry and war machines are transitioning from their former coal power to oil power. So this was what made oil the most important resource of the 20th century. And that was what made the control of the Middle East of such paramount importance to the imperialists. And let we have to not forget that it was the British who instigated this whole movement. The Americans took it over um but we it was the british who instigated it the british imperialists and israel is essentially an an armed base it's not a country in the kind of normal sense it's a base of highly motivated but deniable fighters right you've got a whole population which is essentially your army you give it a few billion every year it's a cheap army And the body bags don't come home. The body bags stay where they are. So in many respects, it's very useful. But this entire population that's been planted there, the settler colonial population, uh, is loyal to the imperialists and to the imperial system and is there precisely to control not just the Palestinian territory, but the whole Middle Eastern region. So Dad, I wondered if you could talk to us a little bit about the, the genesis of the Israeli project
1: and of Zionism? Um, uh, there are two points I'd like to make, make Jyoti uh, and Caleb, and that is he, the, the genesis of, of, of Zionism goes even further back than, than the discovery of oil. The discovery of oil does not come till much later. It comes in the 20th century, uh, uh, after the second end of the second decade of the, of, of the 20th century. Before that, it was a struggle between the powers to control India. India was the jewel in the British colonial colonial crown, and whoever controlled India had tremendous power not only over the exploitation of India's natural resources and manpower, but also using India's manpower to conquer other places. The British used the Indian soldiers not only to conquer the rest of India one by one, but also to send them to China, to send them to Afghanistan, to send them all over the place to conquer these places for them. And Mm -hmm. so British were very, very keen to make sure that um, India was safe, safe against Russian czarism and safe safe against uh, France, which was the rival European power. there are two names that come up again and again if you read the earlier history of of, of this, this this project, and that is uh, 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 Palmerston and um, and Lord Sh- 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 Shaftesbury, Shaf- and they were evangelical Christians and they also believed in converting the Jews to Christianity. And they could always bring uh, b- biblical quotations how it's important to convert the Jews. To, to Christianity, and then there will come a day when, when, when there will be liberation for, for, the, for the whole of humanity. We won't go into, into, into that, that, that topic today. So there was a mixture of religious obscurantism with real interest. So Zionism was never a Jewish project. Actually, right up to the 20s, right up to the rise of Hitler, the Jews continued overwhelmingly to oppose the, oppose the project. When the Balfour Declaration was issued in 1917 by the Foreign Secretary of Britain, Balfour, who had earlier been Prime Minister of Britain but he was now Foreign Secretary in, 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 in Lloyd George's administration, the only Jewish member of the Cabinet, Edwin Mont- Montague, wrote a note to the Cabinet saying the Balfour Declaration was an anti-Semitic document. Because what it's trying to do is it's trying to tell um, the Jewish people that they don't belong here, they are not French, they are not English, they are not um, whatever. They are actually from pa- pa- Palestine, and where they found actually good good help was from the Zionists. The Zionist ideology is actually very similar to the Nazi ideology, to the ideology of Hitler. Hitlerites believed. Jews do not belong to Germany. And by extension, they do not belong to Europe. Their place is in Palestine. And the Zionists said, yes, our place is in Palestine. And their leaders continued to say, the problem is not with the Nazis. The problem is with us, because we don't have a state of our own. We Jews are the problem. You know, nobody wants us. We want to have a a, a separate state. Instead of actually joining with the proletariat of the respective country to fight for their common liberation as happened in Russia and and, and 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 the Russian revolution brought liberation not only to Russian people generally speaking but also to the Jews and all the laws against Jews were actually abolished within the first few days of the establishment of the Russian Soviet republic and the the, the Jews were, in the vanguard of, 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 of that struggle. If you look at the First Central Committee of the Bolshevik Party, the Jews are disproportionately represented. The fact that some of them would go renegades later on, like Kamenev, Zinoviev, Trotsky, doesn't say much. There were lots of other Jews whose names you and I don't probably know. We only remember Kaganovich, but there are lots of others who, 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 who were, who were Jew, Jews, Jews, if you like. So Zionist ideology, came very handy for imperialism, because if they wanted to be in Palestine, any power that could use them for their own purposes, and the two powers that could use were the French and the British. The British proved to be much cleverer, because after the Second World War, when under the name of the League of Nations mandates to hide the word colonialism, the British made sure that they got the mandate for Palestine and the area that as Iraq, Iraq today, Mesopotamia, if if you like, and they got there, and the moment they 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 get they get get there, uh, did I say Second World War? I mean after the First World War. Yes. The one once once they get get the mandate, they then bring in Jewish immigration into the area. After a while, it becomes alarming for the local para- Arab population, and. The, Arabs of Palestine revolted in 1936. It was a powerful rebellion which lasted three years, during which time the British demolished 2,000 homes, imprisoned 10,000 Palestinians and did horrible things to the British and in the process armed the, um, the, 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 the Zionists to fight, fight on, their, on their side. But in the end, the British realized that they had to restrict immigration to calm the Palestinian people. And the moment they started restricting immigration, they earned the wrath of the Zionists. So the Zionists fought against the British. They killed some powerful uh, uh, persons in, 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 in Palestine. They bombed hot, they, the the, the David, uh, King David King David Hotel. In in, in in Jerusalem, killed a lot of uh, British soldiers. In the end, the British got fed up and they handed over Palestine to the United Nations. And the United Nations came up with this scheme to divide Palestine, you know, and believe it or not, 56% of it was granted to the Jews, Zionists really you should say, not Jews, and the rest of it to the Palestinians. And Then when the Arab forces protested against it, there was a war in 1948, the Zionists occupied even more territory, leaving behind mere 22%. And that was what they captured in the Seven-Day War in 1967 and controlled the whole area. And that is the source of the trouble, and the source of the trouble is imperialism and Zionism. Zionists were considered mad, Edmund Montague said they, sh- they are mad, mad people. They should be outlawed. No Zionist organization should be allowed in the country. They should be made, made, made illegal. They don't mention. They mention every Jew, but two Jews they don't mention is Karl Marx, You know, he, at least nominally he was a Jew, he wasn't really. He was as much of a Jew as I am a Sikh, right? And then and, 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 and the other one is Edmund Montague, because to bring Edmund Montague, they have to say he was speaking sense. He was speaking against Zionism, and every sensible person spoke against Zionism at that time. Jews, the Jews who were Zionists in in Germany, were so happy when Hitler came with his Nuremberg Laws, which outlawed the uh, the, the Jewish activity in several ways. They said, "Fantastic, because our greatest enemy is assimilationism. We want to fight against assimilation. Hitler is our friend, and one day." when the beautiful state of Israel is created, there will be a beautiful monument to the Nazis and and, and to Hitler, because they made it possible for us to have a state of our own. So that's the ideology we're speaking of. If anybody is is, is a fascist, more than anybody else, it's the Zionists and their imperialist backers who are fascists. We're not fascists. We're fighting against fascism, including against Zionist fascism. People tell you, a Jew cannot be a fascist. Why can't a Jew be a fascist? Fascism is an ideology of the ruling class of the of the imperialist ruling class in a crisis. So anyone joining that brigade can be a fascist, whatever their ethnic origins, because fascism is not dis- described by ethnicity, nor is it dis- described by the size of the style of the mustache that a man 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 wears. You know, it's an it's an ideology which grips the ruling classes of imperialist countries at cer- cer- certain periods. And that's why people will tell you in Ukraine. How can you say Ukraine is fascist when you got a Jew- Jewish president? First of all, Jewish president is not a president. He's got a gun held to his temple. He's got to do what he's told. The moment he does not, there would be no Zelensky in living, living form. He would be gone to some, some, some cemetery. Imperialism will get rid of him. He's already they're trying to get rid of him. He's already on, 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 the, on the way out. So I think we should not get into the idea that only a certain ethnic ethnicity can produce Hitlerites, or that only a certain country can, that only Germany can produce. Now the Japanese have, have produced their own version. The Italians have produced their own version. So fascists, the, 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 the Francoites in Spain produce their own version. So it's not confined to a specific country or to a specific eth- ethnicity
0: and more than that when it comes to fascistic aggressive barbaric behavior towards the rest of the world all the imperial states indulge in fascistic activity abroad right? that's how they hold down the colonies and that's exactly what um what israel is israel is uh, a little military outpost where the people have been bribed in order to be Uh, the enforcers of this fascistic policy over the the native population, Caleb?
2: Well, it's also important because around what we're talking about here, I see a huge amount of distortion. Um, It's important, as you said, to point out that prior to the Second World War, the majority of Jews in the world rejected Zionism uh, and were advocates of some variant of Marxism, social democracy, anarchism, or, or Bolshevism. Um and that there was a very clear divide among Jews over that question. The Zionists, Theodore Herzl and others said that Marxism was their greatest enemy. Um, there's an article by Winston Churchill that I see posted around the internet that says this. Uh, you know, Winston Churchill wrote, you know Zionism versus Bolshevism, the struggle for the soul of the Jewish people. and he he says just that. and I have seen many, many people use that article to try and argue that somehow Zionism, and Marxism are all part of a big conspiracy. And this is a really widespread trend among people that are dissidents in the United States. It's this belief that communism and Zionism are all wrapped up. They're all part of a secret Wall Street cabal or something. And it's just not true. And the more you dig into the facts people use to try and and make that argument, the more you see that these are just, this is just anti-Semitism. It's just hatred for Jewish people on an ethnic level. Uh, the 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 uh the bolsheviks were very clear they considered zionism to be a reactionary trend of the jewish bourgeoisie i believe that's on the first page of stalin's on the national question um and that uh that that lenin was quite harsh in his opposition to the bundists even right the bundists were not zionists but they advocated a separate jewish organization uh for for socialists and he said no you have to we have to have the the russian social democratic labor party we have to have bolshevism um, And that this is a widespread deception and that um, this attempt to make everything into a conspiracy, uh, you know, you know, there are conspiracies that go on, obviously. Um, And there were there was quite a bit of of foul play by the Zionists in order to set the stage for the creation of Israel. They did bomb uh, the they did bomb synagogues in Iraq and other places in order to encourage Jews from uh, countries throughout the regions to to come to Israel that's been that's been documented and that there were there was a lot of conspiratorial activity and I mean you can talk about these things but the idea that everything is just a big giant plot uh this is this is a disempowering notion uh that gets you know put out and it's a way of, of you know leading people into a state of paralysis where they can't do anything about anything um and it also has some fascistic undertones right I mean the idea I mean unfortunately now, the 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 thing we do have to address though is that 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 the soviet union unfortunately did vote for the creation of israel at the united nations in 1948 um and that uh that even though up until the second world war there had been huge huge opposition to zionism uh the communist party of the united states in particular played a very negative role in 1948. Um, you know, they were supporting the creation of Israel, et cetera. And, and that was a huge mistake on the part of the global communist movement. And I think, I think it was based on the fact that there was a belief that because of the Holocaust uh, and because of, of the, you know, the events of the Second World War, that a Jewish state would be one that would be sympathetic to the Soviet Union and the people's struggles for national liberation. Uh, and I mean, that was quickly, quickly proven to be a false, uh, false projection. Uh, but I'd be curious what both of you have to say about about why this this error was made.
1: First of all, I do not know why this error was made because it's completely alien to Marxism that Jews are in a separate separate nation, and it's completely alien to what Stalin had had, had, had through through throughout uh, uh, said what the internal lo- lo- dynamics in the in the Politburo and the Com- and the Central Committee of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union were. I do not know. But the state of Israel, I mean, the only possible, and it's a conjecture, it's no more than that, was that Jews had been treated very badly by the Nazis. You know, they were oppressed and they were in a bad way. And to express certain amount of sympathy, if they could live happily along with the Arabs, was not in itself a bad idea. Also, the Zionists at that time pretended to be socialists. Yes. And and they could have become. An arm of the liberation movements against British imperialism in the Middle East and actually get rid of the domination of the French and the and the British in the Middle East. But these are conjectures I, 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 I do, do not know. But it soon became clear that the Zionists had sold themselves to the Americans and they were in every socialist country in the Eastern Bloc, they were sending their agents and using their language skills and their connections with the Jewish populations to incite them against the socialist system and also to cause a lot of them to emigrate to Israel, or if they didn't want to go to Israel, to the United States or Europe, the, and, and thus depriving the Soviet Union of very talented people who were needed for the reconstruction of the country, of all these countries following the devastation of, of, of the Second World War. So the Soviet Union broke off diplomatic relations with the, 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 with Israel in 1948, 40, 40, and, you know, they were condemned. They, they could see where they were going. Golda Meir goes to Soviet Union, has a conversation with Ilia Ehrenberg, and she says to to, to to them that Jews should speak Hebrew, or at the least, Yiddish. And it disgusts her when she sees Jews who cannot speak any, any of these languages. And he said to her, you are just a servant of US imperialism, right? Mm-hmm. And so they continue to do that. They use their position to actually incite people against the Soviet Union. And they played that dirty role, not from then onwards, right up today, to today. The very people who were most sympathetic to the Jews against Nazism, The the foremost of those people were the the communists and their hatred is reserved for them. The person who actually all his life fought against anti-Semitism from his early life when he was only 21, 22 up to his death was Stalin. And yet he's the one who's singled out to be the monster who was an anti-Semite. I'm at the moment busy, uh, not reviewing really, to give some ideas that are produced in Domenico Lusudo's book on the black, 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 black legend, Stalin, the history and critique of a black, black, black legend. You know, he's somebody who everywhere has brought liberation to national minorities. He was a commissar of nationalities. A lot of Trotsky will tell you he was given an unimportant job. No, it was the most important job in the Soviet Union, how to keep people with such divergent religions and ethnic ethnicities together as Soviet people. And Stalin's policy of, in Ukraine for example, of Ukrainization of, of Ukraine, bringing the Ukrainian language, publishing books, journals, producing theater plays, producing movies for the cinemas. and and, and bringing into high positions, instead of Russians, Ukrainian officials, that was a tremendous thing that was done. Precisely at that time when that was taking place, what should Trotsky do? Trotsky should demand the separation of U- 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 Ukraine from the Soviet Union under the guise of saying that the Ukrainians are oppressed by the Stalinist bureaucracy, you know, there's a word which, which is meaningless, it means no, nothing. They are being suppressed by by the bureaucracy. And that is what the imperialists, especially Hitlerites, were trying to do to separate Ukraine, not because they wanted Ukrainians. They considered Ukrainians to be the Untermens, the subhuman beings. They didn't want Ukrainians, but they wanted Ukrainian land, which is very fertile. And they wanted, of course, Ukraine's industry, which has been developed under the Soviet Union. Ukraine was a backward peasant country before Soviet Union. And all the industry that was developed developed under the aegis of the Soviet Union, and more, most of it was in the region which is now under the control of the Donbas and Lugansk republics. That was the center of uh, of, of, of uh, the Ukrainian industri- industrial industrial in, in infrastructure. So that that is precisely what what, what, what took took place there and they were against the Soviet Union precisely because the Soviet Union was bringing liberation. It had become a challenge. It was calling people all over the world who were oppressed and were suffering under the heel of colonialism to rise up, because that is the way to liberation. Because In the Soviet Union, the liberation came under the flag of the Communist Party. It came under the flag of the proletariat. It wasn't a liberation struggle led by the people of those countries against you know, the rulers in Russia. No, it was a joint effort by the Russian proletariat and the proletariat of all these countries to get rid of colonialism, to bring culture, and they brought the, into, into use local languages for administration and for literature and for teaching in the schools and brought into life languages which hadn't been used for a long time languages that didn't even have scripts. The Soviet uh, pedagogues went along inventing scripts for those languages. That is the effect of, of so, so, so Soviet rule. Of course they hated the Soviet Union and and, and, and and you can expect them to from their point of view. It was the monster, just as in its own day the French bourgeoisie was considered as the as, as a hated bourgeoisie by the by the monarchist monarchist Europe. And those days, Paris was the center of revolutionaries everywhere. Just as after the October Revolution, Moscow became the center for revolutionaries everywhere.
0: Thanks, Dad. Um I'm going to move us on to one last topic before we finish. Uh, very briefly, something that you brought up there, Hapal, and uh, that I think is really significant actually in this moment, which is when I looked at this big launch of this Alexa flood battle. And I thought about the geopolitical shift that's been happening. Uh, What occurred to me was, we are looking here at uh, the Ukraine war effect, which is impacting so many things, which already impacted the geopolitics in the Middle East because the imperialists combined efforts are focused so hard on trying to destroy Russia through Ukraine. They're throwing all their resources into it, constantly dredging the bottom of the barrel and printing more money to send to Ukraine, emptying their arsenals to send to Ukraine. They've sent weapons from South Korea to Ukraine, weapons from Israel to Ukraine, right? They've been sending everything one way to try to win, but they're not winning there, but they are weakening themselves. And while that was happening, we had this quiet maneuvers in uh, diplomacy going on. Where China was using the space that had been created in the Middle East to help bring about this diplomatic rapprochement. And we saw this real global uh, geopolitical shift happening in the Middle East, that you know, wars and conflicts coming to an end, and under the kind of peace that can only be negotiated when the USA is not present. You know, we're starting to see the beginnings of all these things. And it seems to me that it's a very propitious moment. For the palestinian resistance that obviously this battle has been in preparation a long time there is no way this this just they just decided one day woke up and decided to launch this they've been working on all of these mechanisms that they brought together for a long time that's very clear um but the moment they chose to launch it where the imperialists attention is elsewhere where they are pretty used up in terms of a lot of their resources um and where the shift in the Middle East is in their favour, where the shift globally with Russia and China, you know, the anti-imperialist bloc generally becoming stronger, with Iran having joined the BRICS as well as Saudi Arabia, with a whole network of support available already, the remaining occupation forces of the USA and the Middle East are starting to look very, very, very vulnerable. Their days in remaining in Syria are clearly numbered, and. As a result, Israel also was beginning to look very, very weak. Even without the fact they've had a year of internal protests, and and the regime is is looking so weak because it's riven with with fascism and can't hold itself together, its attention was elsewhere. Right. So all of these things seem to come together to give a very, a very uh, propitious moment uh, for this. Um, uh, assault by the Palestinian Liberation Forces. And um, I wondered, Hupal, if you, if you thought the same in terms of the the, mo- the the timing of this.
1: Well, first of all, my view is, as you have already stated in so many words, Palestinian resistance would have launched this attack whether there was any shift in geopolitics or not, because they're fighting for their liberation and they can't carry on being, being suppressed all the time. But certainly it helps. As Che Guevara famously once said, the one way to deal with imperialism is to create several Vietnams, you know, so that imperialism has to fight at several fronts. Now, it has not been engineered, it has not been coordinated by anybody, but the fact that this uh, resistance uh, movement has erupted in such a powerful way in, in, the, in the Israeli conflict with the, with the, with the Palestinians is a, is a well- welcome development because it actually diverts US attention from Ukraine. They can't pay the same attention to both bo- both these places, and as somebody rightly said, the Israelis have more clout in 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 Washington than the Ukrainians have. So if anybody has to win in getting the mo- most of the resources, it's the Israelis who will who will get one way or the other. It's a bad news for for imperialism. It would have been anyway without any shift in geopolitics, but in view of the fact that they are being beaten. Uh, in, 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 in Ukraine against against Russia is now, of course, something which is added to by the, by the latest eruption of, of uh, resistance movements activities in, 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 in Israel. And they have broken the myth of the invincibility of Israel. If it hadn't been broken by Hezbollah in the war of 2006, where actually the Zionists were beaten and after 35 days, they had to they 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 had to, had had to retreat, and they would be very hard put to starting a fight against against Hezbollah again. I'm not saying they won't, because reactionaries are fools, as Mao Zedong said. They lift a rock to drop it on their own feet. They will probably do it, but if they do it, they will be courting for 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 further disaster. So that is something very very important important to to to, to remember, and. When it comes to di- di- dividing the forces, of course the forces are, are be- be- being, di- being being divided. American imperialism is going from one place to another, and it cannot win everywhere. There's not a single conflict since the Second World War that it has come out of uh, 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 as a winning, apart from Grenada. Population 90,000, American army goes and as has, has a regime change but elsewhere they have suffered nothing but defeat after defeat. So I think there is something wonderful about about what what is happening. And I think we have a time to go to ordinary people who have a sense of decency, even in imperialist countries. How would you like it? How would you feel if your country was invaded by others, all their land and homes were taken away from them, and they were living in some refugee camps in, 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 the, in the marshes of Louisiana or somewhere, how would you do, do that? Would you not fight? Now the Israelis have been going in, there are tens of thousands of these demonstrations, which are against the present Israeli government's judicial reform, which compared with what the Palestinians suffer is nothing. And in, that, in those demonstrations, the question of Palestine is nowhere. But to her credit, And I think she saved the honor of Jewish people as well as American Jewish people. There was one woman taking part in that demonstration uh, against the judicial reform, carrying a placard with a hand-painted flag of Palestine saying, we didn't worry about the occupation and we got dictatorship. People have to learn to fight against dictatorial rule because if they don't, it will be their turn. So the judicial reform is very oppressive to the so-called liberal liberal Jew, Jew, Zionists in, in Israel. But occupation is not something that bothers them. They've got to learn to actually accept that occupation is the problem. And I think they will sooner or later come to realize because they will no more win uh, their battles against the Palestinians than the French army did against the Algerians in the war of liberation that Algeria fought. In the late, late 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 50s, they were as vicious as the Zionists are in dealing with the Algerian Algerian people. But in the end, it was the Algerians who won. And de Gaulle actually had to accept the fact that this Algeria could not be kept part of France. And there were a lot of left-wingers who said, Of course, Algeria is part of France. It's a province of, of, of France. Well, the Algerians thought differently and they won their liberation. And I think Palestinians will will, will do too. It's a pity I won't be alive to watch that liberation, but both of you are young enough. You will see that and then you will remember what I said.
0: You might be surprised yet, Dad. Caleb, last word to you.
2: Oh, well, um, I'm in agreement with uh, much of, if not all of what Harpal said, Um, you know, and that geopolitical alignment uh, is very important and that is the new world that is breaking out. and I'll also add that, uh, you know, the, the struggle that's happening, you know, the, the confrontation in Israel between Netanyahu supporters and more liberal uh, Israelis, it, that's the breakdown of Western imperialism. And it's similar to what's happening with the with the new right in Europe or what's happening with Trump here is that they're, they're, their system is failing um, and there is a divide between uh, some of the the lower levels of capital and the overall, you know, geostrategic agenda of the big imperialist monopolies and it's worth paying attention to because revolutionary forces can maneuver within this. Uh, I will say I'm very very disappointed by seeing some of the voices that were very anti-war and are very opposed to sending weapons to Ukraine saying horrendous things about the Israel conflict, you know, calling to flatten Gaza, etc. and it's it's very disappointing to see forces that that have started to wake up regarding Ukraine. Um, be so wrong on the Palestine issue, but that just means that those of us who understand the big picture and have an ideology and a way of viewing the world that can explain everything, uh, we have our work cut out for us. Um, And so we have an important thing to do, we got to build a a working class, socialist, anti-imperialist movement.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. On on that rare note of agreement.
2: (laughs) All right.
0: Thanks for listening to Proletarian Radio. We aim to bring you the best Marxist analysis on current affairs, revolutionary history, and theory. Do like, comment, subscribe